Are we good? Good. So, but I do think that the passage of mine as I think of Danny and Karen's fight is that I have fought the good fight. And uh, they persevere and obviously they need to continue to be in our prayers. Um, Larry, Jan, how, what's the update on uh, Pam? What's... Amen. And if you remember, if you were here last week, she uh, had a full mastectomy fighting the breast cancer. And uh, how old is she? At any age would, well, probably not a good question to ask, but I, you know, it's just a difficult, uh, very difficult. Yeah, you don't do that. I should not have done that. But uh, anyway, just obviously it's a struggle and uh, please keep them uh, in your prayers as well. Keep her uh, in your prayers as well. Uh, I want to ask you to turn your Bible to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. And while you're turning there, I will tell you, Elisa Jacobs will be having back surgery on the 20th, 20th of this month. And it's a bad, I think Mark ran into her, you were at Kroger in her back has gotten so debilitating she can't even, can't even hold her kids, can't even pick her children up. So she had to quit her job as well. And uh, thank God that uh, Logan had obviously was hired with the fire department, but I know that's very difficult. And uh, so we always have many to pray for and think on their behalf and move our hearts to, uh, to think on and pray for them. First uh, Samuel chapter 2 and this is a song. It's a song of Hannah. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, Hannah had wanted a child. And so she has this song of thanksgiving. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside, besides thee. Nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who will, uh, those who were full, hire themselves out. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. I want you to hear this passage, church. The Lord kills and makes alive. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol, that is a place of death, and raises up. The Lord kills and makes alive. I had a message uh, prepared uh, this week, and you have a handout, and it was a continuation of the Lord as Almighty, referencing uh, his message, his revelation uh, from God to his bond slaves, to the seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, this week, I always tell you, I do not believe in coincidence. Uh, again, I've already mentioned it once, uh, but my heart um, consistently over and over again in the week was weighed uh, with uh, a spirit and, uh, and just a desire to um, deal with uh, the circumstances of my life and the lives of others that, that transpired during the course of the week. And I was led to, you know, obviously uh, more time in Scripture and really uh, looking for inspiration and direction from God and His Word. And, and really it all kind of culminated just in the last couple of days. So I am going to preach the message that's on your handout, but it's going to be next week. Uh, I want to deal with some things this week. I want to read to you something that, uh, just bear with me for a second. Um, the, the preacher that God led me to in February of 1985. I probably have referenced him before, a guy by the name of Randy Finter. And uh, let me get there. 
And this would have been February of 1985, and God led me to this church on a Wednesday night. I said I wanted to speak to somebody uh, about God. Let me, let me find this. Just bear with me. And right there. And this was, uh, and I had the privilege to study the scripture with him on that Wednesday night, February of 1985. And we, he answered every question that I had concerning God. God had brought me to the end of myself. And that night, uh, through uh, many, many questions and several hours of study, uh, God uh, led me to understand and know him uh, as Lord and Savior. And, and so that night, um, I had the opportunity to study and confess Jesus as Lord, be united with him in baptism. I was 26 years old, and Randy Finner played a big role in that. Obviously, God uh, brought uh, me to him. That's another testimony for another day, but I want to read a message uh, from him. My 89-year-old mom has recently had multiple strokes. She's been hospitalized for a couple of days with more tests to come in Fort Worth, Texas. Yesterday, my 89-year-old dad, so 89-year-old mom, several strokes, my 89-year-old dad sat for several hours in smoldering heat his car baking on the bubbling asphalt of Baylor's hospital lot. So, so listen to this. So that he could stay as close to her as possible. COVID has locked her away from him, denying his entry into the hospital. More tests, uh, more tests tomorrow. Would you pray for my parents, Eugene and Billy Finter? Married 72 years. 72 years. Listen to this. Separated from touches, hugs, and hand-holding for the foreseeable future. Married 72 years old. They're both 89. Well, they have a wonderful gospel preacher as a son. And this is the world they live in. I know, I've talked to Mondo and Gail, he moved his uh, mother down here recently and, and she's in a, I guess it's a nursing home type, and they're having to speak through a window. You know, you can't go in and Jennifer Mundine yesterday came by the house and her face is broken out from having to wear a mask. You know, these are the times that we live in and I could, I could go on and on. Um, Politically, all you have to do is turn on the news and, and there's just a lot of opinions about a lot of stuff. Uh, the scientific community is divided, uh, the so-called experts. Um, I remember recently, within the last three months, that I heard from the experts, the scientists, that the, and you can check all this yourself that the virus couldn't survive in the heat or humidity. Obviously, that, that's not true. But the experts, the scientists said that was the truth, and they said it. You can find clips of them saying that. I mean, it's not, not the doctors are divided over the effectiveness of masks, and I've heard some say that, you know, it's a safeguard. Others say that it becomes a carrier for the virus in and of itself. There's, maybe there's health implications. I don't know. The point is, there's a lot of messaging, isn't there? There's a lot of stress. And we're living in the world uh, of a virus. And it's affected the globe. And, and the messages are just emanating from that. I, I didn't realize, because I think sometimes, you know, I, I personally, I can't speak for you, I get stuck in my corner of Curtin, Texas, I didn't realize until this week, I knew some churches uh, were closed. I didn't realize the number of churches that are still closed right here in Bryan College Station. I don't know if you were paying attention, but John MacArthur was on Tucker Carlson several weeks ago, and, and uh, he, they had shut their church. Huge, Grace Community Church, uh, several thousand members. They had closed their church for 21 weeks, and he said, you know, we can't do this. He, he, the Lord put it on his heart. He wrote a letter uh, to the governing authorities about the Constitution, the law of the land that we, we live under. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been established by God. Every nation has been established by God. If you're a Christian, you believe that. America didn't happen. God made America. If you're a Christian, you have to believe that, as well as all the nations throughout history. God rises and God brings low the nations of uh, the world and humanity. But in California, after 21 year, weeks of being closed, uh, he opened the church doors and it was empty. And by the third week, 3,000 people showed up. And, uh, and then he said, no mask and people hugging. And, you know, that statement drew a lot of controversy. And so they opened their church. And so the governor of California uh, issued to him, I don't know what's happening this morning. I don't know. But he said, if you open this Sunday morning, they're going to turn the power off. That's not a wives' tale. And so apparently they went out and bought some generators. <laughs> and then he said, well, we're going to turn the water off. But it, not just for the church. But I get, so the government is intervening in a way. And and there are those that would agree with that. We've got to be safe, you know, and we've got to protect people from themselves. And, and then there are those, the constitutionalists that would say the founding fathers of this country would have said, hey, you have the right to make those choices. And you certainly the right to fellowship and assemble. And that cannot be infringed upon. So there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Churches that still haven't opened. Um, people that are deeply committed to doing their job, frontline people. We have nurses here, police officers, firefighters, um, deeply committed to doing their job. And, and the requirement of their job wears a mask and all those things. Churches being closed, church members, church leadership in conflict. And it's just abounding everywhere. And so here's what, I want to say to you this morning, and this is it. Um, each of us here has been and is being affected by uh, our thoughts and our emotions uh, and physically and spiritually by a message. I mean, we are. Anytime we say, well, I believe or I think, it's not just a random statement. I mean, I guess it could be, but most of us, and especially as you're an adult, uh, you've had the ability to formulate a thought and become passionate or not passionate about it. Just anything in our lives. It doesn't have to be something as serious as a pandemic, it, or, or it could be a college football. I mean, whatever the influence is, it could be anything. The things that we're passionate about in our lives, the daily living aspects of our life. So we formulate thoughts, don't we? And the majority of our thoughts are based upon, well, what? I mean, our environment and how we're raised. I mean, people who think passionately or are really tied or married to a certain, I don't know, political group or way of living or you know, whatever it may be, uh, in Texas or rural Texas probably have a different worldview or value system than maybe somebody in urban you know, in the middle of Manhattan. It's just so our, our environment and our circumstances, our parents, how you were raised and who you were raised with and their uh, value system and their influence, I think we'd all agree with that. And so, um, but, but for me, one of the calls of Scripture, if you and I say we're a Christian, that I'm a Christian, what does that mean? I mean, really, what does that mean? Well, the first thing that it would have to mean is that you believe the message of God. You couldn't be a Christian without believing the message of God. I mean, we, we are told, Paul writes to the Ephesians, you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. So Paul says, you and I, if we're a Christian, we're saved by grace through faith. We didn't do anything. So if that's the truth, then the message, that's a message, then the message, well, if I'm saved by grace through faith, then how do I get faith? Well, Romans 10 and 17, Paul, who wrote Ephesians, who wrote Romans, he said, 
Consequently, he would go on to say, it's a great passage of Scripture, that 10th chapter of Romans begins where Paul says, my prayer is for the Jews because they have a passion for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. And then he would go on and he would say, do not say who will ascend, that is to bring Christ down. Do not say who will descend. Christ died once and for all. You, the message is, is that you and I as Christians, we don't have the right to say who's saved and who isn't saved. And he said, but what does it say? What does it say? Well, those that who would confess, those who would cry out and confess, uh, crying out to God, that God would save them. And then you just move forward and you get to Romans 10 and 17. It says, consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. So according to God and his message, if you're a Christian, God, by grace, through faith, saved you and I, not on the basis of anything that we've done, he did it through his son, Christ alone, only through Christ, on the basis of faith alone. Who is the author and perfecter of faith? Jesus, the writer of Hebrews. Let's fix our eyes on him. So your faith, what you say about your faith, it's not your faith. You and I don't have faith. We couldn't even experience faith without the manifold, manifest, omnipotent, sovereign work of God. So it's not our faith. And if a preacher tells you it's your faith, he's preaching, in, he's certainly not preaching the biblical message. Jesus is the author, perfecter of faith. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. Consequently, faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. So our message then is a message from God to us, according to his will, as he, in his sovereign, omnipotent will, saves those he has chosen. Ephesians chapter 1. Saves those based upon what he knows about your heart and my heart. Now, I could just go on and on. But as a premise, I wanted to settle that. So we're in a world of pandemic. And we all have influences in our life, our environment, our family. Churches are less than half full nationally right now. I didn't look up this week the number of churches that are closed. But I know right here in Bryan College Station, many churches are still closed. I don't know the number. But nationally, attendance is less than half. Giving is down. Churches are closed. Christians are afraid. Christians are fearful. So just experiencing all that I experienced this week, um, in my heart, I, I, I said, okay, Lord, I, I just, in my prayer and in my study, I, I want to share some verses with you this morning. I'm just going to begin. Let's go with Matthew. Chapter 6. Because if you believe in the sovereign will of God and you're a Christian and you're a Christian based upon the sovereign will of God and the message that is preached delivered to us through the inspiration of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, Philip, all Scripture is God-inspired, all of it. All Scripture is God-inspired for reproof and rebuke and for training uh, the man of righteousness. And so all scripture, Genesis through Malachi, is inspired by God. We're a people of the message. We've been formed by all kinds of messages and influences. And the struggle is being a Christian based upon what the word of God teaches and being American or Texan or I don't know, third or fourth generation of whatever, or just whoever we are. There's the flesh. There's everything that we've learned in our flesh about money and family and marriage and sexuality and whatever it is. All the influences that are not of God's word. Everybody here is a mixture of influences and thoughts and environment and all circumstances that they're not, it's not of God. It's just not. And maybe you and I have never stopped to think of that. Maybe it's never been a conflict for us. 
Maybe we just readily accept whatever we've been taught through the influences of our life and we've never really determined in our heart, was that what is that is my belief and the things that have formed me, are they are they in agreement with God and His message? You know, we struggle with that. There's, there's, the, there's the flesh in me and then there's the Spirit of Christ. I've been given. I've been given the Holy Spirit of God as He has saved me. You start reading Romans chapter 5. The love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. If you and I, when God saves us, not only does He save us and He forgives us, but He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Word of God inspired by God. But then we have our flesh. And I believe it's a lifelong journey of getting rid of all the flesh in us and being conformed, what the scripture says, conformed to the heart and the mind, the thinking of Christ. It's lifelong. It's just lifelong. All these little kids up here, David, I mean, they had a seed planted in their life this morning. And, you know, that, what a great illustration. A plunger. Getting rid of, oh, look at that mess. And that cross then. 2,000 years ago, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to clean up the mess. I'm going to clean it up. So that seed was planted. But so we, we had a little 10-minute time here this morning. The rest of the week, what kind of messages are those kids going to be listening to and hearing? And as they go in our public school system or, you know, some people will homeschool. And I think that's wonderful and admirable. But I, listen... I taught at a private Christian school for years. Um, and so many times, Christians, we want to protect our children from the world. You know, the scripture says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. I found, you know, we have, boy, there's been cultures and people that, you know, that decided the monks and the monasteries and, and the Amish and that I'm not being critical of anyone. Well, we're just going to live, so we're in the world, but we're not of the world and we're going to live separate. We become hermits or monks or, or a culture or people. Well, I'll tell you what, I've seen that. You could, you could homeschool your kids. You could put them in a private Christian school. You get, you, we cannot protect our children from the message of the world. We cannot. We cannot. And if you think you are, you just completely have deceived yourself. And in fact, the scripture even says that you and I are to go into the world and be a salt and a light and a sweet aroma. But this is the dilemma, isn't it? This is the dilemma. I'm born in the flesh. I'm born in my iniquity, Psalm 51. I'm a, born, I'm a born sinner. I'm born in iniquity. And my flesh knows very much what it wants. And then add this dynamic. If it, wasn't, if it, if it was just my flesh and the spirit of God, that's one thing. But then the Bible very clearly illustrates spiritual warfare, doesn't it? That Satan prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. That was in 1 Peter. And then Paul wrote to the Ephesians, our struggle isn't flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. So we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And then if you read the second chapter of Ephesians, there is that spirit of disobedience from the prince of the power of the air, Satan. It's a, it's a satanic influence. So we have a satanic influence, we have spiritual warfare, we have our flesh. Sometimes we give Satan way too much credit. Satan didn't really and doesn't really need any help in me fulfilling the desires of my flesh. Sometimes we blame Satan for the very reason that, or the very reality is that it ain't Satan, it's me, it's Aubrey. Satan didn't have nothing to do with that. But I have the flesh, I have spiritual warfare. I have the spirit of Christ. I have his word. And so now I see that manifesting itself in the body of Christ. Because we have a purpose. We have been called to be the salt and the light and the sweet aroma to a dark, broken, sinful, earthly, spiritually demonic world. And we're trying to raise our children. And we're trying to stay married. And we're, and we're looking at, I don't know how many of you are fearful of what's going on in our economy. 
How many of you, if you're in a business right now, your business is suffering? I'm taking some time this morning, okay? This is very real. And then, if you are raising a child, if you look, I, I can remember growing up in the 70s and I thought it was pretty good, guys. I don't really, life was kind of fun and even innocent, as strange as this would seem. I look now after living in the world, trying to raise my own children, going into prisons, dealing with families and all the struggles. It's not the same. It's not. It's not. There are drugs and information. There are drugs that make the drugs in the 60s and 70s look tame. And they're easily accessible, and you can manufacture them and sell them cheap. I've heard many people say that crystal meth is demonic. It's easy to manufacture, it's easy to get your hands on, and it destroys and kills lives. It's demonic. Information. Your children and grandchildren have more access to more information than any other generation in the entire world. I hope I get to Daniel 12 this morning because in the 12th chapter of Daniel, it talks about how things are going to unfold. And the one thing that you can know about the end times is that knowledge will increase. And knowledge is increasing. So you put all that together. In church, in spite of all those messages and all those influences and all the circumstances in our life and the environment that we were raised in, and then the, the conflict between the, the Holy Spirit and a demonic spirit and my flesh and the Spirit of God and the message of humanity and all the scientists, <laughs> the message of the, the, the experts... There's only one expert message. I don't care who the doctor is in America. I have, I have no care what's, I really truly don't. Who the scientist is, and you as a Christian should not either. Now, after I finish this morning, if, I, if, if you're not convinced of that, then please come tell me. I, I don't believe that any man living with all the knowledge that they may have if it doesn't align itself with the word of God, it's no knowledge at all. It's no message at all. And so in a, in a sinful, satanic, broken, dark world, for 2,000 years, God established a people on the day of Pentecost. And he gave them a message of how they were supposed to live and influence the world that they live in. We're going to start in, in Matthew chapter 6. Now, this is the message. Now, I, I don't believe that you need a Bible scholar to explain this to you. I'm going to read it. I might make a few comments. But this is from the mouth of Jesus. Now, prior to verse 25 in the 6th chapter, he makes a, st a, 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 a statement. In verse 21, he says, listen, for, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Fact. This is a fact. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. Good care less. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Your psychologist that will graduate from any school of psychology, not even knowing that this scripture in the Bible, they would say that. Yep. The psychology of a man and a woman is where their heart is, that's where their treasure is. It is. Now, Jesus said it. But then he would say, and he really talked about saying, the lamp of the body is the eye. And if therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And he goes on. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Talking about money. He'll hate the one and love the other. Or he'll hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. Now this, so for the reason I read those, he said, for this reason. For the reason that our heart uh, reveals where our treasure is, the lamp of the body is the eye. 
If your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. You can't serve two masters. All those, I don't care who you are, Christian or not, those are true. Those are empirically, those are empirical truths, whether you're a Christian or not. And for this reason, Jesus says, now here's our message. Church, here's our message. For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. As to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as in what you shall put on, is not life more than food in the body than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than them? Church, hear this. Listen to this. Let this one stick in your brain. I don't know if you're afraid of getting the coronavirus or not. I don't know. I don't know if you're worried of dying from it. I don't know. I don't know if you think you can... You can I, here's the thing I want you to hear, church, that the scripture is going to speak very clearly. Do you really think, if you're a Christian that you can do anything to prevent yourself from getting the coronavirus. Or you can do anything that's going to keep somebody else from getting the coronavirus. If you do, your preachers need to be admonished. Because there's a message that resonates that is not demonic and it's not earthly. And it's never been influenced by a man. Here's the starting point. Either you believe this or you don't. Either the earthly influence or the circumstances or the environment or the flesh that has influenced us or the demonic, that's the only things that could keep you from believing the truth of this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life's span? If you and I believe that anything you and I can do, and this is a hard, 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 hard theology. It's difficult in so many different levels. I, there was over 53 verses that I had set aside that I obviously cannot go through this morning, but you know what they all said? I stopped at 53. That the, the days of your life are numbered. And you and I have nothing, zero, to do with it. Zero. And if you believe anything other than that, you do not believe the message of God. You don't. You won't find anywhere in Scripture that will depart from that. You, you, you can't. God kills and gives life. As he chooses, when he chooses. I'm going to continue because I, I want the verses to be illustrated in such a way that, uh, that we can't avoid them. We can't ignore them. I mean, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit, a moment, a second to your lifespan? Go to Matthew chapter 10. It, for time's sake, I'm trying to be conscious. Go to, go to Luke 12. I'm sorry. This is a continuation. I want to talk to you about reckless living. Reckless. Now, I want to say something. I don't think that any of us should test God. I, I, I'm aware of a preacher recently got up in the pulpit and was speaking boldly about coronavirus and how and you know what he got the coronavirus and he died. I believe in the sovereign will of God there. I believe that this is a sacred trust. And I believe we should never test God. I believe it's simply spiritual 
to recognize we live in a world where there's a virus that can kill us, along with uh, several thousand things that can kill us that we don't take nearly as serious as this. That's not a guess. So in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story. And, and he tells this wonderful, wonderful story. He said in verse 15, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Now, you see, the earth, you know what the earth says? You know what the earth, you know what the message of the world says? Hey, man, listen. This is not really, a, you know, this guy's looking out here and he said, things are good? Probably a very responsible person. Probably, maybe if he lived in, he'd have a degree in business. I don't know, you know. He understood save and put back and good economy. And he understood, you know, hey, this is how, you know, buy low and sell high. I mean, he probably had the best farming uh, techniques and information that the world could possibly have. A very prudent guy, resourceful guy. And, and so he was a certain rich man, was very productive. He was very productive. This is a hardworking guy who lived by the principles of, of what the business world and the economy and the farm. This is a smart guy, a productive guy. And he began reasoning to himself, there's the problem. When you and I reason to ourselves outside the reasoning of God, we will always be in opposition to God. If your reasoning isn't God's reasoning, you are not, we are in opposition to God. So the test is, the, the, the challenge, the admonition is, is that you and I have been called to find out how the Lord thinks. What does the Lord think on these matters? Are they, is this your thinking and reasoning, or is it God's? I want to tell you the cancer that has affected the church for 2,000 years, the single biggest cancer, a plague that has affected the church. The church has been led by preachers who reason their reasoning, and people who follow the reasoning of preachers that reason their reasoning. Or churches that have weak preachers that base their church life. There's, there's, there's a knowledge of Christ. They may have a sign out there that says Christ. But the reasoning of that church is their reasoning. Now I mean that. It's Romans 10 and 1. Paul again says, I, my prayers for the Jews, that's God's people. They have, uh, they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with righteousness. The righteousness that comes, my reasoning, the way I reason things, doesn't have anything to do with the, what, the calculation of a man. It only has anything to do with the calculation of God in his word. And this man was reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do? What shall I do? Christian, what should you and I do? Submit ourselves to the sovereign will of God based upon the knowledge, instruction, and reasoning of God or do half of that? Well, I do, on, I do for a couple hours on Sunday, Easter, and Christmas, but the rest of it, hey, listen. Buy low and sell high. Trick me once, shame on you. Trick me twice, shame on me. Limited forgiveness. A self-righteousness that believed that you and I have the right to judge anyone based upon some reasoning and even a warped interpretation of Scripture. These things are true, folks. Listen to this. He said, I was reasoning, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? He just take the word I, I, I. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. It should have been, what should God, what would God have me do? God, do you want me to tear down the barns that you've given me? You want me to build larger ones and I'll store all of the grain that you give me and all of my goods so that I could give and distribute to, to others. Not live so selfishly, but that's not what it says. And I'll say to my soul, yours, listen, do you really think, church, that your soul is your soul? There's a misnomer from Satan. It's not my soul. It's his soul. 
And he has never given up ownership of that. But I'll say to my soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What a great business plan. What a wonderful business guy. What a responsible, productive guy. This guy had a plan, didn't he? Man, things have been good, but I'm going to tell you what I know, how I can make them better. And listen, now I've got a, I got a retirement plan now. Ooh, and here is the problem. But God said to him, God said to him, what would he say to you and I? You fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Are you preparing something? Or do you believe that God is using your life to prepare something for him and others? Think about that. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The church is full of preachers and people, I really believe this, who are, that lay up treasure for themselves and are not rich to God. I believe that. I've been affected more by the message of the earth and world and earthly things and the reasoning that comes from that. And so you have churches that are not open, churches that are half attended. I know this is a harsh lesson. Who are more afraid of a virus and will even say, well, then I'm concerned about who I might give it to someone. You don't have that much power. If you believe that, God, I am so sorry for you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I would not test God. I'm not asking you to test God. The scripture is directing us to read, rethink the way we think. It's good to be sensitive to people. It is not good to walk around in fear thinking that somehow I'm powerful enough in ways that God has never given you or I any power. I have to continue. The writer of Hebrews makes this wonderful statement about Christ. He said, For Christ, verse 24, did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. There's power in the blood. Verse 29, otherwise he would have need to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now hear this, church. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. Go with me to the Psalms. Go with me to the Psalms. Go with me to the 39th Psalm. Verse 1, I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I, I was dumb and silent. I refrained even from good. And my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, behold, thou hast made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in thy sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and, and then doesn't know who will gather them. What do we just read? And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all of my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. 
I have become dumb. I do not open my mouth because it is thou who hast done it. Remove thy plague from me. Because of the opposition of thy hand, I'm perishing. With reproofs thou hast chastened a man for iniquity. Thou dost consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Where do you think any plague comes from? Hard lesson here. Comes from God. Do you think that God is not actively at work in this life? In this world? I mean, do you really think that? Do you think that God is just sitting up there in the heavens watching this thing unfold? And has no real care for your soul? And has left salvation up to you and I? I mean, do you, there again, I, I lay that at the hands of preachers. Church leaders. Our understanding of God. Do you really believe in your heart that God is just allowing some kind of random uh, show to unfold in front of him, not knowing the, the start or the end or the middle of it? I mean, did you believe that? There's some hard lessons in Scripture. You just read the ninth chapter of the, uh, of the book of Romans. Read the book of Job. I don't have enough time. I'm out of time. I've probably been out of time for ten minutes. Remove that plague from me. Because the opposition of the hand, I am perishing. With reproofs thou dost chasten a man for iniquity. Thou dost consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn thy gaze away from me that I might smile again before I de depart and, and am no more. I'm going to finish here in Job chapter 14. I just, I don't have enough time. Job 14, verse 1. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and, and does not remain. Thou also dost, dost open thine eyes on him and bring him into judgment with thyself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with thee. And his limits thou hast set so that he cannot pass. Turn thy gaze from him that he may rest until he fulfills his day like a hired man. The days of men are determined. The number of his months is with thee. And his limits thou hast set so that he cannot pass. I could, I could go on and on and on. Church, you're going to die the very second of the very moment of the very day when God determines that you're going to die and you will not have one thing to do with it. Now, I'm sorry. If you can find a scripture that says otherwise, please. Please. And I'll do the systematic theology with you. Now, we ought to be humble. And we ought to be servants. And we ought to be diligent. And we ought to have the mind of Christ. And we should be considerate. And we should not desire anyone to harm on anyone. But I have to tell you, and I'm going to say it, I didn't get to Daniel 12. I'm going to do Daniel 12 next week because there's a judgment and it's coming. And I would be a shallow and weak and mild and unsufferable and wicked preacher if I didn't give you the conclusion of God. There is a judgment coming. And it's coming. And it's very clear of how that will transpire. 
And church, I just tell you, it would be a whole lot easier to preach something else. But I believe we are seeing and we are witnessing today, right now, the winnowing, the separation. I've talked to too many preachers. I read too much of that word. It's happening right before us. God is... He's, the harvest is happening, folks, right before our eyes. I'm not trying to incite fear in you. I want us to be challenged by the admonition of God and His message that this is not only important, it's the only thing that is important. And if God desires to use a, a pandemic to move His people to a place of total trust and faith in Him, then so be it. Let me say that again. If God chooses to use a pandemic to move his people to where their only trust and faith and hope is in him, praise God for the pandemic. Did I, who, did I hear an amen? I wish I'd have heard about 50 of them. But do we have that kind of faith? And if we don't, why not? That's hard. But as much as you and I may be moved to fear, and have some compassion in us, it pales. It pales compared to the passion of God and His compassion that was revealed 2,000 years ago. You know what the saddest thing of this whole deal is? The most heartbreaking thing in this whole world is that there have been people that have been influenced by earthly things in such a way they cannot see the magnificent love and sacrifice and service of God they refuse to see it. They reject it with what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. I trust every word of God's word in his message and his sovereignty because of what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. No man will have an excuse. No man will be able to blame God no man, no man will be able to have a philosophical dis discussion of God on the basis of what they feared and why they feared it and what motivated them. No man, no human being, we'll all be without excuse. And if you don't see it, church, my, my heart breaks for you. The winnowing is happening. Nothing like this. No, you've not seen it. If you lived through World War II, you've not seen anything quite like this. If you don't believe that we're moving to a one-world government and an electronic currency, and I could go on and on. I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm a Bible guy. Or we could just have our heads in the sand. Or we can wake up. The pages of Scripture are unfolding right before us. We're going to be in Daniel next week, Daniel 12. I, I, I want to say more about this. But my encouragement to you is this. Who are you going to trust? And what message is going to influence you? My favorite verse in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians 2.2. I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I have no care for what any scientist says about anything that men have come to a conclusion. I have none. And if that offends you, God bless your soul. And I mean that from my heart. If that's firing something up in you, I do. I'm paying for you. Paul said, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I'm going to tell you, the only people that are going to be left standing... When the trumpet sounds, and it's going to sound, and the heavens are going to roll open, and every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess, the only people left standing will be the people that have deeply known, hold to, trust, believe. In that statement, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified.
I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians, to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I go on living, I'll serve Him. If I die, how much more better? I don't know if I'm going to get the coronavirus. Don't know if I'm going to die from the coronavirus. Don't know. But if I do, I'm just going to say at church, praise God. And I mean that. I don't say that proudly. I'm not saying that as a badge of Aubrey's faith. Aubrey has no faith separate apart from God. But I believe that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, He has saved me. And whatever His lot for me is, so be it. Because if He could let His Son die on a cross for me, He certainly can take care of my soul that He has chosen to save. And if for a moment in my life I have to suffer like Job or nothing even like him, I hope that I could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I'll see him someday. And that's what the world needs from you and I. Not a bunch of mealy-mouthed, mamby-pamby, scared Christians who are being influenced by something other than the knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm saying it. I want to challenge you. I hope you've been challenged this morning. I really do. To think on these things. Consider them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer and my desire and my heart is that your people, the people that you have chosen, the people that you have, your word says, your elect, Father, that we, we, we become the voice and the heart and the mind and the spirit and the hands and the feet and the body that glorifies you in a world that is gripped in fear. I hope that hearts turn to you and minds and spirits search your word and, and a faith, the faith that your son authors and perfects would grow in each and every one of us, Father in a way that when the world sees us, I, my prayer is that when the world sees us, Father, they don't see a bunch of fearful, backstabbing, divisive, weak, but they say people of the cross. That they see people of the cross holding on to the message of the cross. And we pray these things in the name of the cross. In the name of Jesus, amen.